Hello out there. Uh, this is Julia Sotis casting live from New York City. Um, I just got back from Coney Island, so it was fun. We were on the amusement park rides and out and about. It was awesome. Um, so today on the show, I have Marilyn Bradford. I'm very excited to have you on today, Marilyn. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about addiction. Um, I, Marilyn is, um, well, I'll let, I'll let her give her, give some background, um, about herself and the work she's done, but she, um, is an addictions counselor and she has, um, done a lot of work with access consciousness, um, taking a different look at addictions and with what else is possible. Um, I think it's kind of like the Maryland 12 step program, except for this one actually works. So I'm really excited (laughs) to hear about that. (laughs) And, um, so we'll talk about that. And then we were just talking um, before the show and I was telling Marilyn that I want to hear about a little bit about teenagers and like, you know, if you have kids on drugs or people are doing pot or even cigarettes and it's like what it's like to be a mother or father and how to deal with that and be the space for your kids. So yeah, I think we've got a pretty exciting show lined up. I'm really excited to hear what Marilyn has to say about all this stuff. So, um, so yeah, if Marilyn, welcome. And if you just want to give a little bit of background, like with the work you with access consciousness and the work you've done previously and how you've sort of molded everything together and and what you're creating now. Sure, absolutely, because it is a bit of a story, but <laughs> it, it in- Well, we um, want to hear it. We want to hear it here. <laughs> right. Well, back in the 80s, I was actually diagnosed as an alcoholic, and I had all the classic symptoms. I was a blackout drinker, you know. I found I couldn't control it, um, that I was, quote, or I perceived at that time that I was powerless. I was also a smoker, and I had off and on a sort of an eating disorder. I mean, I wasn't completely anorexic, but I would get way down there and, you know, in the 90s of pounds. And so, you know, I was kind of a mess doing what a lot of people are doing (laughs) with their lives. Yep. Um, and all by that, I just mean that we're not, we're not living the life we could be living if we were willing, if we had the right tools and information and we, could, we knew what to do to begin to step into all of who we really were. But anyway, at the same time, I got, quote, sober, and I didn't have any trouble not drinking. I went the traditional route, the 12-step, because that was the only thing that was really available. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. And even even then, my I had a therapist. He said, "Look, Marilyn, this isn't I, this isn't a great fit for you. But I don't know what else to tell you. So just you know, take it with a grain of salt, which is kind of what I did in the beginning. And then it was very strange. I actually, as I say, drank the Kool Aid and began to spout everything that they said. And I re- I later realized." that it actually has many of the elements of a cult in it. And people do basically become brainwashed uh, to myths and lies as if they were truths. But that's a whole other topic. But anyway. Wow, I had no idea. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) That it's a disease, that you're powerless, that only a higher power can relieve it. Um, that you need this identity of an alcoholic your whole lives, that you can't ever get beyond it. None of that is true. And I am, I would say I am living proof, but I have many clients also that I've worked with and used Right Recovery, which is a collection of tools that I've uh, from Access Consciousness and from my work as a therapist with addiction for over 23 years. And I sort of created this program with that's very loose it's like access in that it's not something that's uh imposed on people but it's a collection of tools and techniques and i and i developed this with gary douglas the founder of access consciousness but anyway um so i was in that i was in that program for i don't even remember i'm so bad on time like 14 15 years something like that mm-hmm. and i was also having this private practice and at the same time i kept going I know there's something more. This, I just cannot believe that we are powerless dweebs, you know, right. who, can, who, who can't move beyond this. I just will not buy that. So I tried everything I could find. I mean, I tried the um, women for sobriety and rationally motive therapy for addiction and, I, and, you know, everything that I could find out there. And I got a little bit from everything, but 
none of it really worked the way I wanted something to work, which was I wasn't willing to accept the premise that this was some, uh, some lifelong disease that you couldn't move past, that addiction was some kind of permanent state, and once you crossed a line, you could never return or you could never, and actually you don't return, you create something even greater with the right recovery. Right. But anyway, so I kept looking and looking and looking, and then at some point, I found access consciousness. Now, I wasn't looking for something to use with addiction or even my clients. I'm just, I'm a seeker. I mean, I've bopped around India in the 70s, you know. I've done every major form of meditation there is. Um, I've done a lot of metaphysical things, astrology and chakras and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was seeking. I was seeking for something out there. I knew there was something greater, and I knew there was somewhere somebody had some tools that would actually give me access to this, and that's what access did. Um, And I was changing so much with the access tools that I thought, well, I'm just going to start using them with my psychotherapy clients, my addiction clients, and they started changing so much faster. I was like, holy scamole, this is amazing. (laughs) So that's when I asked Gary about you know, could we come up with something with addiction? And he's like, absolutely. And that's where Right Recovery for You was born. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the brief history of Marilyn, the quote alcoholic, who now, <laughs> if I choose to, can have a glass of wine or not. Yes. Because, yeah, you can absolutely walk away from any addictive or compulsive behavior. So that's, that's that. And at some point I also want to talk about um, a very different definition of addiction because I think that's really crucial. Okay. But I can just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. No, so I it's I would just fabulous. shut up a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, um, no. <laughs> keep going. I'm learning. Um, so, so what is a different definition of addiction? Let's just talk about that now. Like this is, this is, I want to hear everything you have to say about this. Okay. Because the, the way most people define addiction is, you know, and I, in some ways I've, I've even stopped using that word because when I say I work with addiction, people are like, well, well I don't have an addiction. I don't, I don't, I don't overdrink alcohol and I don't use drugs. Right. Okay. We I have an addiction. <laughs> My addiction is self-judgment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, so what, what I discovered, the first thing I discovered, and I just kept looking at all this stuff, is that um, addiction, it, it doesn't matter what the target of the addiction is. In other words, it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol or sex and relationship. Or And here's the thing, folks. You can be addicted to things like being a victim. You can be addicted to poverty. You can be addic- addicted to being right. You can be addicted to being in abusive relationships. You know, it doesn't matter what the target is. All addictions have the same root core and cause and, in a sense, purpose. And that is to give people a place to go where it's sort of a default place where they can be on automatic pilot and where they don't have to deal with the pain of this reality. For a few hours while you're drinking, or even a few days while you're working obsessively, say 14 to 18 hours a day, you don't have to be present in your life and living, and you don't have to be aware of everything that you don't want to be aware of. So it's really this place of escape that we go to. Now, I don't judge that at all, because the way most of us have grown up and what we've been told is true, most of which isn't, would lead us to want to escape and get out of here and nobody shows us that there are actually many more incredible possibilities out there for us. So, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing when I see absolutely brilliant, talented, wonderful people who really feel like once a day, once a week, once sometimes even more than that, they got to get out of here. And that's just really what it's about. They have to have this escape route. So once again, it doesn't matter what it is. There's not that much difference between smoking and having an addiction to abuse. Uh, 
All addictions, in a sense, are abusive to us and destructive to us because we're vacating who we are and we're not really being present. But I'm going to say this once again. Don't, don't, don't judge it because it was most likely the best solution you had at the time. In fact, I want to tell a little story here. I, uh, I had a woman call me. I don't even know how she got my name. But um, anyway, we were doing phone sessions because I do a lot of phone work. And uh, she said, well, I, you know, I have to quit drinking. And I'm like, okay. And I always let everybody choose their own target. Um, but, she, but I'm like, uh, well, why do you want to do that? I mean, oh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I'm just drinking too much. And, and it's so awful. And alcohol is just the just this horrible thing and it's ruining my life and I'm like whoa 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 and she had told me a little bit about her life at that point that she was horribly abused as a child and I said let me ask you a question if you hadn't had the alcohol up until this point to deal with the life that you had since nobody was giving you any tools where would you be right now and there was this pause and she burst into tears and she said, I'd be dead. I'm like, ah. Uh-huh. So actually the alcohol saved your life. Wow. But now you're in a space where we can make different choices and you can look at different things. So it's just an adaptation to the insanity that goes on for most of us in our families, in schools, in the cultures, in society. You know. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, it's not, right. I, I'm, I'm, it's, so, it's like the farthest thing from wrongness. It's like asking the question, what's right about this I'm not getting? She would have been exactly. dead. And I love, something that, dead. I love something that you said in there. It just It really caught me. You said, I let people choose their own targets. Because, oh, yeah. you know, like people would come to a, count, to a counselor, quote unquote, let's call you an addictions counselor just for, you know, lack of a better word. And, you know, it's like you would set the target of what they have to shoot for and then they have to judge themselves. But if you give people that empowerment to just let them choose their own targets, if, that's so that's such a different energy. That's so cool, Marilyn. Well, and the other thing is, I don't know what's right for you. I don't know what's right for anybody. All I can do is assist people in clarifying what they would like to have, what they would like to create in their lives. And for some people, it's, I want to stop doing this completely. But for many people, it's like, I would just like, and this is actually, I do have, I do have a hidden agenda target. And my target is that everyone comes to a place of true choice with whatever their addictive or compulsive behavior has been. Right. Yeah, because when you have choice, you can do it or not do it. You can even do it obsessively if you want. You know, I I have occasionally have some <laughs> All right, Marilyn, it's just been a rotten week. I'm going to sit at home and drink six vodka Collins. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> don't drive. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> I will never forget one time in class, you bought Dane and Gary a bottle of champagne signed from Bright Recovery for you. Right. It was hysterical. It's like the funnest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It's so about choice. Like if like I want to stop doing this completely, there's no choice in that. There's no space in that. But so. here's the thing. For some people, that's what works for a while. Okay, you know? yep. And that's fine too. It's like, you know, for some people who are like, look, I've just been drinking so, 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 so much that um, I, I really don't trust myself to um, be able to moderate it. I don't want to go through that. So I'm just going to stop drinking for a while. Cool. Cool. Right, yeah. that makes sense. It's, yeah, you know, it's just checking in ask, with what works for each person. I want to ask about an addiction to food. That's something I've really taken out of my mother. And I, I uh-huh. like see most people around me suffering from it in some way or another. It's like, I guess it just falls in with all like other addictions, but is there any information you have about being addicted to food? Well, let me ask you first, what do you mean for you when you say I have an addiction to food? Well, just chips. I can sit and eat like three bags of chips at once and then I feel like crap I'm actually I haven't done it since the advanced body class but I would like more Mm -hmm. information on it um but it's just really interesting it's like there's no choice in there somewhere well is there no choice 
Or do you, when you reach for that bag of chips, basically choose to abdicate all choice? Yes. Okay, everything that is. We destroyed and created time. Yes. Right, wrong, good, bad, pock, pedal, and choice. This is what I find. People say there's no choice, and I experienced that before with alcohol. But what I realized is we make a choice almost to surrender to the substance of the activity. It's like we give up, and it's like, take me, bag of chips, and do with me what you want. (laughs) Yes. Or it's like when you're drinking, it's like I have made, you know, you make the choice at, say, 10 p.m. after four drinks to just give up all choice. Like, I'm gone. I'm going unconscious the rest of the night. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah, because we do actually do that. But I I would like to say some stuff about the whole eating thing, because that's been fascinating to me, too, and particularly... Um, you know, because I, I, quote, had an eating disorder where I was obsessive about, you know, and I would eat like lettuce leaves and, you know, and I, like I said, I got down in the 90s and I was pretty thin. But um, food has some interesting characteristics because it's so vital to us from, from in the womb, you're actually eating, you're consuming something, you know, in the womb, you're eating from your mother. Uh, And the thing that I found with most eating disorders, which has been so interesting, and it was not something I looked for, I came across it accidentally. Actually, I'll I'll tell this story because it's an interesting story. I had a woman call me up, and this was five or six years ago, uh, maybe a year or two after I'd started Right Recovery. And she's like, have you ever worked with bulimia? Would you work with me? I've been bulimic since I was 16 and I'm in my 40s. And I said, honestly, I don't like to work with bulimia. I don't like to work with eating disorders. I never did it as a therapist because the prognosis was so bad. Basically, in this reality, you go to most psychiatrist therapists, they'll tell you once an eating disorder, particularly something like anorexia or uh, bulimia, you'll have it your whole life. You'll always have to monitor it. You'll always have to be counting your food and have someone checking it. And they would put people in the hospital and, like, I mean, literally make sure they weren't hiding food. I mean, it was like strip search them for food. I mean, it was insane what what goes on for eating disorders. But anyway, I said, so here's the deal. Uh, I I haven't ever done it, but I'm willing to give it a shot if you want to give it a shot. And she said, yeah, let's try because I'd really like to be done with this. So. We started, and the thing that came up, I kept getting this punishment thing. So I said, are you punishing yourself for something? She's like, yes, you know, because she knew the heavy light tool. Wow. And I'm like, okay. And then I just asked, this lifetime, other lifetime, other lifetime. Turned out, I mean, this was all, I just asked her questions, you know, when, what comes up for you? I didn't plant anything, just kept asking questions. Turns out, according to her, she was one of the people that basically was involved in crucifying Christ. And she had been punishing herself ever since. And once we cleared it, and we did this in four sessions, Julia. Once we cleared that and a few other little things like that around that, she, she, she was done. And she called me, I don't know, it was like five or six months later, and said she'd not been back to bulimia since then. And what I found with so much eating stuff is it tends, and more than any other uh, compulsive behaviors, it tends to go to past lives. And I don't know why. And I'm not like, oh, look for your past lives, you know. Yeah. I don't like that kind of thing because it's no. I don't want to make – and it's not that they're responsible – it's just that you made the decisions in other lifetimes in general that are affecting your eating patterns. And, that, and from my point of view, that totally contributes to why treatment for eating disorders in this reality are so ineffective. And I mean, they are incredibly ineffective. It's once again, it's like AA. It's, it's all about managing the symptom. And the assumption is you can't ever clear it or change it because they've never been able to come up with programs or look from a different space or consider other possibilities that would allow it to change. That's fascinating. 
Yeah, really. Like, really. My stomach is grumbling like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The energy moving. (laughs) I had no idea. That is so fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Very cool. Uh, um, So do you have anything else? Like, that's, wow. So, um, so with people, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just trying to think if there's anything else about eating disorders or eating food issues that I wanted to look at, and there is. It's sort of niggling around, and now I can't think of what it is. Um, but the one thing that I, that I would say that I would encourage people to do is what I call conscious eating. And that is, um, you know, before you just grab that bag of chips, take a chip. You can do this with anything. Okay. But it's really interesting with chips. You'll be surprised, Julia. Take a chip and and very slowly, like, feel it in your fingers, smell it, look at it, turn it over, you know, kind of smell it again, feel the texture, look at the colors, and then you put it in your mouth, but you're not allowed to chew it. You just... Taste it in your mouth, roll it around, and then after you've really used your senses in your mouth, the taste, and you might even, I don't know if you can smell in your mouth, but maybe, but the (laughs) feel of it and everything like that, then chew it and swallow it and see what your experience is. Because that whole compulsivity you're not eating consciously. And when you eat consciously, you will have incredible awarenesses. So that's something I ask people to do. And, of course, the other thing is almost everyone who has any kind of addictive or compulsive behavior, and particularly with food, is completely disconnected from their bodies. Right. That does not mean that they don't have beautiful bodies or they haven't been, you know, exercising four hours a day and, have the greatest abs in the world or whatever, but it means you're disconnected from your body. You don't have the communication, the communion, and you really want to work at getting that, whether you do it through muscle testing, the excess body processes, bars, um, talking to it, because that's another thing that I actually discovered. See, there's no addiction in nature. I mean, you can induce it in rats, but you cannot find any addictive or compulsive behavior in nature that occurs naturally. We create it as human beings. It's our insanity. And a lot of it is because we're so disconnected from our bodies. Um, We're in our heads, we're in our shoulds, we're in our psychology, we're in our whatever, but we're not in our bodies. And that has a huge effect for people when they really inhabit their bodies and they begin to have gratitude for their bodies and see the amazing thing that bodies are, then that will greatly assist in letting go of some of the food insanity that people get themselves in. Right. So, yeah, for somebody like eight with, um, you know, bulimia or anorexia, it would be like maybe you're even outside of your body. Like it's just Mm -hmm. you're not even there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's some great awareness. I can't wait for to pass this on. Let everybody listen to the recording. And wow, that's so great. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I, I, um, before the show, I or when it started, I said that we would talk a little bit about kids. There's something in there that I really want to pull out and and get the awareness of. Um, okay. Can you talk about like conscious parenting? You know, when you have a kid who is, you know, smoking marijuana or, um, you know, even anorexia, bulimia, like to have that allowance as a parent and, and what that looks like or what, you know, you've worked with with people. Well, I think I'd like to start off about talking with, about the kids because okay. I had this amazing interview with this 17-year-old boy and his his mom is in access and she's totally amazing so he did have a few um he's actually been exposed to access since he was pretty young uh so he has a lot more he created a lot more in his life than many kids get but he smokes a fair amount of pot and his friends do and i asked him i'll just call him john 
Um, John and Mary are the one, you know, my traditional names. Okay. Uh, so I, I just said, hey, John, would you mind, would you be willing to talk to me about your, you know, the choice to use marijuana and your friends and all of that? And he knew, he knew me well enough to know that I didn't have any judgment about it. I really wanted to know what was going on. So yeah. he said, sure. He said, I'll sit down and talk with you. And his mom was there too. And we had this amazing conversation. And a lot of what came out of it was that nobody, it's what we were talking about before. Nobody tells these kids that there are other possibilities. And they look around. He said, he said my friends look at their parents. Their parents are unhappy. They come home from work. They're stressed. They sit in the backyard. They drink cocktails. They argue. He said, you know, and they're telling us that we have to go to college and be like them. Why would we want to do that? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and he's like, school is the same way. It's like it's all linear. It's like sit down, shut up, read the stupid stuff that has no relevance to your life. And anytime you have an idea or you go, well, what about this? You're told, oh, no, 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 you can't. That doesn't fit into the curriculum. And don't, and don't be a dreamer. That's not going to lead you anywhere, you know. You just, need to, you just need to do what we tell you to do. And finally, we, we, we were talking about this, and we got down to this core sentence, this core idea, and, and basically what it is, he says, what we're told, he says, I don't get this from my mom, but many of my friends get it from their families. He said, and I, we certainly get it from the school and the culture, is this is just the way it is, deal with it. Right. And it's like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm like, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to deal with it either. You know, and right. I, I don't have to the way I used to <clears throat> because of the tools of access consciousness. So, you know, parents want to know why kids do drugs. Look at your marriage. Look at yourselves. Look at the culture. Look at the school. Take your blinders off and see if <laughs> the kids are actually being acknowledged empowered do they know that their possibilities are they supported in creating and generating their being their lives in a way that might not look like you know becoming the lawyer or the or the whatever right and I'm not trying to blame the parents for this this is you know blame goes nowhere ever and I'm not saying to say that there aren't kids who are like, look, just, you know, I don't care what you offer me. I'm just, I just want to get fucked up because I like being fucked up. Because there are. Right. But, but it's always, always the drugs are, are judged as bad and wrong. And if we can just get the kids off the drugs, everything will be fine. No, the drugs are the symptoms of much deeper issues. Right. Because if you were truly enjoying and creating your life, and having fun, and you saw possibilities, why would you take drugs? Or you might take them once, or, you know, you might take them a couple of times to see what they were like, and it's like, well, that was interesting, but there's nothing that you can't get yourself that a drug can give you. And the difficulty is when you begin to use a lot of drugs, you come to the conclusion and you actually create it so that then you can only get what that drug, you can only get it from the drug, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. statement. But anyway, so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is talk to your kids and realize that you can't control it. And if they want to, if they want to use drugs and they're not willing to give it up, you can spend thousands of dollars on sending them the treatment, and it will have no effect. If you've sent your kids to treatment a couple of times and they keep going back out, they don't want to change. They really don't. And at some point, you have to just say, okay, well, you choose. You can, you know, you can quit or not quit, but I'm not, I am through rescuing you and taking care of you. And actually, the head of Access, Gary Douglas, did that. He talks about that. He did that with one of his sons who's been, who was drinking to the point that he had some kind of hepatitis um, it, it, you know, alcohol-induced, and Gary, you know, sent him to treatment, sent him to treatment, and his wife called and said, we really want to send him to, can you, we're not asking for money, but he needs treatment, and Gary said, tell him to go to AA, or not, it's his choice now. Right. Um, and, and you really have to come to that, that, you know, in the end, it's their choice. If you offer, I'm not saying don't ever offer assistance, 
But if you offer it and it keeps getting basically thrown back in your face, just say, and you don't have to be mean or nasty about it, just say, okay, I get it. You're not interested in changing. I'm not interested in, in having you live here or in spending any more money on this. So have a wonderful life. You know, call me. Um, and I've actually worked with uh, parents on this. And it's hard on them, but in the end, it's incredibly freeing. Just incredibly freeing. Right. You know, and, and they get to the point, they're like, wow, you know, I really realize it's up to John. He may live or he may die, but it's not up to me anymore. I can't control his life, and I'm not going to try. You know, right. and it gives them a freedom to not be so obsessive. So, you know, continue to communicate, but don't get sucked down the rabbit hole like you, like you owe them. Right. Yeah, it's a space. No. Pardon? It's a, it's a space for, the, for both the child and the parent, but really the child, because they have to find something to rebel against or rub up against or butt heads with. But if it's not there yeah. anymore, yeah. that's such a kindness. Yeah, it is a kindness, actually. And it's actually an honoring of the person. I honor you to make your choices. Right. You know, yeah, then a micromanaging. You. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's such a different space for people. And the interesting thing is, mostly when parents step into that, most of the time the kids turn it around. Not always, but mostly. And my point, I mean, my sense is, you know, you, other than what are you going to do, lock them up permanently? That's the only way some kids or some adults are going to choose to never use again. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really do that. That's insane. That's not mm-hmm. life either. So, no, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, Marilyn, what's your awareness with, I have this funny thing, with money and pot? I know that Gary Douglas talks a lot about how marijuana affects your financial situation and mm-hmm. just like cramp up like if it's in the room I just want to get out because I'm like I'm you know it's going to it's going to destroy my financial situation and I don't think that's necessarily how it works, but could you talk about sort of what you found with that and and uh, your awarenesses on that well it's it's interesting because I don't I don't really have an answer but I just got back from Amsterdam Mm-hmm. where Gary was doing a foundation in level one. And the first day, I mean, through the whole thing, but basically the first day, we were all looking like zombies. And Gary came in the second day and said, I went to bed at 6 o'clock last night. And I went to bed about 6 o'clock. And Dane, who did a B&U class the first evening, he didn't even come in till noon. And we were like, what is it? It's the level of pot in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. everywhere. everybody's smoking. I mean, you can just, I mean, sometimes people walk by and it just reeks. And I don't know exactly how it affects money flows, but I certainly know that I didn't have much ambition or everything was kind of wonky for a while. And you had to, you almost had to work, fight actively against it. Or at least it's not quite right because you weren't fighting for it. But No, I, I totally... Yeah, it's like it took a lot energy of energy of, right. to get beyond it. It's it like falling like, into oh. quicksand, sort of. Pardon? It sort of feels like falling into quicksand. Yes, it was very much like falling into quicksand. I think that's a great definition of it. And I, I don't know if it was, it was the pot or what, but I found I spent a lot of money in Amsterdam. And every time I turned around, it was almost like, Really? You know, it, it was just kind of weird. So is there a connection? There seems to be. I don't know why, uh, but I do know that I have no interest in going back again. And, you know, they, they've, they've legalized marijuana in, um, in Washington and Colorado. And it's like, I really don't want to go, and I'm going to do everything. I just moved to New Mexico to fight against legalizing marijuana in New Mexico. And it's not because I have any moral judgment of it. It's because it's just my body hates it, it or doesn't like it. It's just is so not a contribution to my life and living. And if it's around, you, I mean, it, it's going to have an effect on you to some degree or another. Um, yeah. At least that's what I've experienced so far. I mean, maybe there are ways to change that, but I don't know what they are. Yeah, yeah. No, I really need to awareness on that because I feel like it's an area where confusion and and so that's 
that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so once again, it's not, it's not a moral stance. It's not that drugs are bad or wrong. You have to look at what they create. And is that what you'd like to create in your life? And the other thing I say to people with drugs in particular is, look, you can get yourself into more trouble with drugs almost than anything else. I mean, you can get yourself into trouble with alcohol, but you mostly have to be driving or something like that, you know, getting into fights. But um, I said drugs are illegal. And I've had clients who've been picked up for small amounts of marijuana, and they go to jail. I mean, come on, guys. This is where it's just, for me, common sense. You know, you want to do something like that, in general, alcohol is a better choice because at least it's legal. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm very practical about all of this. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's crazy. So, anyway. I'm watching your practicality. It's a great juxtaposition to the insanity that surrounds us. I know. <laughs> just... Just this is the way it is. It's just great. Oh dear. Oh, so speaking of practicality, t- oh, the twelve step program. I. What is the different? Can you talk about the twelve step program? Um, and a little bit of. Uh, I'm not even totally clear on exactly how it works. And then, what's the difference between that and and some of the tools you would give your clients? Okay, the first of all, it's basically, it's basically night and day. Okay. I know the 12 steps because I used them. It's your, the first one is, <laughs> I say I know them, let me think. Admitted <laughs> we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. So the first step is that you're powerless. Ooh, I don't believe that strange. anyone is powerless. I, it, for me, is you probably lack certain tools and accurate information. So that's the first difference. 12 steps says that people are powerless. Um, I, Right Recovery says, let me give you the tools to empower you to make the changes you would like to make. So the second step, many we pronounced this over alcohol, their lives have become unmanageable. Oh, second step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, any time, you see, the reason it sort of works for people to manage it is that they, what happens when you go into addictive place is that you make, you imbue the alcohol, the fixing other people's problems, the religion, because religion can be an addiction. You make it greater than you. You give it more power than you. So you, you of necessity, have to diminish yourself and limit yourself. Anytime you make something greater than you, and that's not to say that there aren't people out there who can fix my computer and know more than I do about that or that are stronger than me. But as energetically, your sense of who you are, are you looking at yourself as a, as a finite, squashed being, dweeb, I used to say, or are you aware of the, that you're an infinite being with infinite possibilities and capacities? So it's always about, the 12 step is about making you less than. First, you were supposed to be less than the alcohol. Now you're less than your higher power. Um, And then made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Okay, why would you turn over your life to anyone or anything? You're abdicating. You're abdicating not your responsibility, but you're, you're abdicating the creation of your life. You know, and the thing is, as we know in Access, your point of view creates your reality. If you've decided that you're this powerless person and only someone else or something else can run your life, you've basically become a servant or right. a slave. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing else and can show up other than nothing situations. Else you yeah. Your- yeah. The greatness of you can never show up because you've already said you're not great. So um, then it goes on, and the, like the fourth step is about where you make a searching and fearless moral inventory. It's basically about everything that's wrong with you. Here's where I was wrong here. Here's where I was wrong here. Are you still there, Julia, because you were cutting out a bit? Oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, um, so it's, it's, it's an inventory of where you're wrong. Now, I want to segue a little bit here. 
because I discovered something. It was, I think, in the second year I was working on uh, Right Recovery for You. Because first I realized that all addictions have the same root core. Then I realized or came, became aware of that they were actually primary and secondary addictions. The secondary addictions are the things that we tend to think of as addictions, like gambling and sex and spending money and, you know, overeating and, and overexercising and all of those. Those are actually secondary addictions. The primary yeah. addiction, in all of the years I've worked with people who have addictions, the one common factor is that they all judge themselves harshly. So I realize that there's a primary addiction, which is the, to the wrongness and judgment of self. I mean, why else would we turn to something, you know, like alcohol or food or whatever in an obsessive way if we weren't trying, I mean, if we felt fabulous about who we were, if we were in total allowance of ourselves, would you ever need to compulsively do something or consume something? No. no. You might do it out of choice because it was fun, but there <laughs> wouldn't be that compulsivity to it. Absolutely, you know. So here's the thing. If you actually can undo this primary addiction to judgment and wrongness of self, addiction disappears because it is fueled by that pain of this judgment of being wrong. Well, the fourth and fifth steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are all about how wrong you are. They reinforce that you're wrong. And in fact, the tenth step, which is to take a a daily inventory, is the same thing. So the whole program is all about how you're powerless and you're wrong. Right Recovery, as with Access, is about empowering you with the tools and information to step into the greatness of you and assisting in dismantling this sense of wrongness and knowing that you can end permanently any addictive or compulsive behavior. You can walk away from it. It never has to affect you again. So it's really just almost, I would say it's a polar opposite, but it, but it isn't because access is so much more than that. It goes beyond polarity. Um, right to possibilities that most of us have never imagined. So, but it, it's whenever I just go back to or think about um, AA, it just oh, it almost makes me just go cringe. But I, I have to tell one funny story on this because I, I did right towards the end of the time I was going to meetings, um, and I I had really stopped. I don't remember when, but I would show up every once in a while because I like some of the people. Um, because in general, addicts are really interesting, funny, amazing, creative people. But yeah. Anyway, I walked into a meeting. They are. <laughs> I walked into a meeting instead of saying, hi, my name is Marilyn. I'm an alcoholic. I said, hi, my name is Marilyn. I've been addicted to anti-consciousness, and I'm making different choices now. And people are like, what? <laughs> so that kind of created some change for people I don't know what it did really but it was it was fun I enjoyed it <laughs> are you hearing me right, right now pardon are you hearing me now you you keep cutting out a bit I hope that that won't be on the recording I'm not sure what the deal is um okay. I may be in the mountains of New Mexico or those are anyway I can't imagine okay I like what you say, though. Like, I, I almost prefer addicts to regular people. All right, now you're really cutting out. I'm sorry, Julia. Could, I wonder if... Let me see. Let's try that again. Oops. Hello? Hello? Julia? Hello? I can't, I can't hear you at all. This is very strange. Hello? Uh, hmm. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? 
Yeah, that's better. You came back. I think they put us on. Hello? No? I mean, I just heard a squeak from you, a sort of a better. Um, huh. Do you want to try to call back in, or I don't know, we've gone about 45 minutes. I don't know how long you normally go. Yeah, I go an hour. Can you hear, like, is everything better now? Everything is better now, much better okay. now. Okay, you know what, my, um, here, let's just continue. I put it on hold so that everything should be okay with the recording. Okay. Okay, awesome. Well, you were talking about the 12 steps. Yeah. Well, um, well, sort of. We were talking about how we like addicts. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that, um, I mean, the 12 st- I find the 12 steps, I mean, if all you want to do is manage your symptoms and work a program your whole life and buy into that you are an alcoholic, it is a disease, there's nothing you can do to change anything, I mean, that's a choice. It, it actually, for some people it works. I think it works to manage the symptoms, and I think it also works because what they're really looking for is not to create their lives, but to abdicate any responsibility for their lives to a program, to a higher power, to somebody else's answer. And that's what it is. 12-step is an answer, whereas, of course, access is all about question and empowering people to create more. So it's a very, very different approach. Right. And really, in the With, end, it really seems like it's, it's just a choice. Like, you know, it's a choice in the way that you choose to live your life and the direction you choose to take. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be right or wrong. You know, if you want to abdicate control of your life, go for it. You know, that works for some people. It it so did not work for me. That's why I kept (laughs) looking for different possibilities. Like, no, I don't think so. Right. Probably been there, done that too many other times. Not going to (laughs) happen. Not worth my time. Wow, you have such allowance. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I have talked to anybody with so much allowance. It's fantastic. Really? Yes, really. It's so fun. It's so fun to be in your energy because there's just no wrongness in anything anyone can do. No. That's just no. So I mean, cool. there may be some things that people do that don't work for me, but that doesn't make it wrong. It makes it it doesn't work for me. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Well, yeah, we are coming to the end here. Um and Marilyn, I want to just ask you, um, do you have classes coming up or anything you would like people I to know do. about? Um, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I have, uh, and I'm going to make sure on the date, I'm even going to click my computer here. I have a um, recovering from family telecall coming up. <laughs> and I just love that idea. It's going to start on August 26th, and it's on my Access Consciousness website, recovering from family. Uh, and I also, I do private sessions with people all over the world. I use Skype, and I have a variety of uh, teleclasses that I've done in the past. On I have a program called Are You Eating to Live or Living to Eat? I've done that series. That's for sale. I've done Down the Rabbit Hole with Your Favorite Addict. I've done um, Ending the Primary Addiction, Judgment, and the Wrongness of Self. That's actually an amazing series. I've, I've done it twice. So if people are interested in past classes or private sessions or this upcoming teleclass, Recovering from Family, because, I mean, isn't that where we all go absolutely insane with family? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you're, you're, you're a high-functioning adult. Your life is working more or less. You know, you have a few, few things to tweak, and you go home, and all of a sudden you become a resentful, you know, 13-year-old or something. You're like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um. This is all about, yeah, tools and tips to help people get beyond that. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. And I have a new website coming. Currently, if you go to www.writerecovery4u, you'll get hooked into an older, older, older version, which is called the Bradford System of Write Recovery. And 
it it is it should it will be right recovery for you again we we've gone through some incarnations but there is a free video series that people can sign up for there if that's of interest to people because you know what one person is interested in another person might not be interested in so i try to have a whole variety of things that people can choose from um and I just love it so much. I mean, I really do. I love working with people. I love to see the changes and the, the ahas and the, wow, I didn't know it could be so easy in a way. Um, I actually did a telecall, a six-series tele. No, that, I did one called Addiction Over Easy. That was one I did. But then I did one with Ricky Williams called Fun with Addiction that was just hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine you and Ricky. You and Ricky not talking about addiction, so that was oh fun, you know. So if you'd like more, there's there's many different ways to have to have more of right recovery for you if that interests you. Great, awesome, fabulous. Well, thank you so much. That was a really really fun call. I'm so grateful to have you know have you share all of your awareness with everyone. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Julia. This is, you know, this has been very enjoyable for me too, because you are just naturally a fun person. I mean, you seem to like having fun and trying things out. So I do. I'm up for anything. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great energy. So anyway, okay, great. Um, And for those of you listening, um, Melanie Clampett will be on the air next Wednesday um, at. What time is it? I think four, three thirty Pacific time next weekend. Three thirty Pacific time. I always have a different time every week because I like to be out and about and things. It doesn't usually work the same time. So yeah, so we're going to be doing um, three thirty Pacific time, and her and I are going to be talking. We named the show last week, um, the Beauty Dilemma. Do you hate me because I'm beautiful? So I'm really interested to see where that's going to go. Um, so I hope that you will be able to join us. So thank you so much, Marilyn. It was awesome thank, to have you Thank on. you, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.